0: There's also a dynamic person who leads our team here at the Center for Spiritual Living. He's an advocate for love as well. May you welcome with me our own Dr. Patrick Cameron.
1: Thank you, Reverend Catherine. Make sure I have enough water to get through the next half hour or so I drink all that, I'll have to take a pause in the middle of my talk, is all I have to say, so we won't do that. Before we do our, um, our opening song and prayer, I want to, uh, we're, we're starting our class, uh, our, our academic year, our teaching center, and we, it's always important for us to acknowledge the people whose uh, energy and time went into studying. It just helps uh, continue to, to deepen the whole uh, consciousness of our community. And what I'd like to do right now, last, last uh, um, service, I, I acknowledged people that had studied with me. And people came ap- afterwards and said, well, how, what about if I didn't study with you? And I said, well, we're doing pe- different, we didn't explain it well, we're doing different classes for different services. But um, what I wanna do right now is I want to uh, acknowledge um, one of our teachers. Uh, this young man is a, currently a uh, ministerial student with Dr. Ken Gordon and Dr. Deborah Gordon in Kelowna. Who are teaching the last group of um, of students that uh, with, with our old format of how we train ministers before the integration is complete, and and so he's one of the the last ones that'll go through this training. Uh, he's he is uh, one of his talks is available online and uh, a wonderful talk. And um, where, where, where how do we find it? Know the flow. Know, the flow .ca. .ca. know the uh, And he's uh, a, a rising. Uh, star in our, our movement, and I, so I want to acknowledge and ask uh, Carmion Owen to please stand. He was the teacher of this group of, uh, of students that we're going to ask to stand. And also his TA it was, uh, his teaching assistant was Terry, Terry Triska. And so I don't think Terry's here today, but we want to just thank him and acknowledge him. And anyone that... You went too early. I told you to lead the claps, but you went too early. So we will get our act together, okay? Um, but we want to thank also and acknowledge the people that did study with Carmian. So if you were in Carmian's class, if you'd just stand where you are so we can love you up. Look at that, they've all ascended as a result of class. <laughs> anyway, they're here in our hearts. Thank you, Carmian. And I'm going to invite Sam up right now. I want to invite Sam Simpson to come up and uh, share with Sam. Samantha. Um, as well as being a, a graduate of the last year's studies, um, is also one of the, the uh, leaders of our Cosmic Kids downstairs and uh, we're helping facilitate that beautiful program. So Samantha was going to speak a little bit about her experience with class.
0: Hi, um, I started my spiritual journey about two years ago when a good friend of mine introduced me to the center and I'm sure most of you would share in my feelings of just being incredibly overwhelmed by how amazing these Sundays are at the center with the music and the message, and you leave here feeling empowered and just like you can move mountains. Um, It didn't take me long to realize that that Sundays weren't enough for me, so I started to enroll in classes, and I can't tell you how transformational those classes are in every aspect of your life, and the community, the family that you build is, you you, you just have to experience it. So I invite any of you that have not taken any classes to go into the back and register and just watch, feel that transformation and draw inspiration from your own lives and be that change you wish to see in the world.
1: Oh, thank you, Sam. And of course, Sam is heading downstairs to be with our cosmic kids. So what I'm going to invite you to do uh, right now If you'd like to stand and sing with me Please feel free If not, please stay seated And then we'll say a prayer I will say a prayer In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. No with me, as we turn our attention and our focus, our, our thinking and our minds and our being to this idea of that one life that life that was spoke of and demonstrated so beautifully by so many beautiful teachers and avatars down through the ages and it is in that recognition of the one life spirit's life and claiming that life as my own that I know that I am lifted and changed and expanded in ways I cannot even imagine so I surrender into this idea in the moment I have my faith and my knowing in that so my life becomes spirit's life and in that I know that I stand with one leg in this world and one in the love the unconditional love of spirit resourced informed guided in every good way and so I celebrate life with you I celebrate this idea that each and every person on this planet is a divine representative of spirit and as we wake up to that idea as you and I wake up and inspire others to wake up and to do our work and to answer our call individually and collectively the world is transformed and so I'm here in celebration of that idea knowing that we are plowing the way for the next generation to live in a world that works for everyone as well as our own lives being transformed in ways that are powerful and wonderful and so wherever love is love is called for I stand so fully alive as this song is expressed there's enough love in this room for all the world to offer that unconditionally and to be guided in wisdom and clarity and joy and celebration in the empowerment of the individual and the empowerment of myself in a way that is beyond measure and so that you and I become a blessing to this planet. This is what we stand for. And so this day, the discussion we have this day, guides, leads, and informs us in that. The music inspires us and lifts our hearts and our minds to an awareness and a peace and a tranquility that is available at all times in the power of coming together in community and realizing that and being that together. is such a wonderful experience. I am so grateful I stand with you in the enthusiastic joy of life and saying yes to it, yes to all of it. That has been that, it, that which is, and that is yet to reveal itself. I know it is all good, and it is all designed for me and for you, and for this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you, Brown. All righty. Here we are. We are starting... Uh, it's always fun to kind of go back to school. and Every year it's the same kind of thing. We're going back into classes and studies and seeing where that where that uh, lands for all of us. And so if you're interested in thinking about that, that's a wonderful thing. And if you're not, you're a beneficiary of it, whether you know it or not, because when you walk in the doors, that's part of the vibration that greets you when you come in. So I want to talk about that today. Today's sharing is, a, is called Answering the Call. And Answering the Call is inspired by a wonderful book that probably was the first book I ever used when I came here 10 years ago by Greg Lavoie called uh, finding and following an authentic life, we don't have them in the bookstore. So on the way out the line, be, we don't need to have that conversation. Where is it? Because it ain't here. But it's, uh, it's, one of my old, it's one of my oldest and dearest books, and I love it, and I'm always picking it up and looking and reading a page or reading a passage in it. But what he inspired, and I thought about this, because if we agree and I think for the most part everyone here agrees that there is something that is unseen there's a there is a there's a a power and a presence that we don't see but we sense and the way we do see it is how the world shows up we see it in nature we see it in one another we see it in within children we see it in the joys and the celebrations and we are intuitively guided I know many of you I know many of you are not sleeping you're out there listening deeply because you have your eyes closed and actually what you're doing is you're intuiting uh, things upon the words you are actually here at some deep level not to just listen to me, but to listen to yourself. And so I'm very aware of that. So it is in that listening with both ears I want to speak to today. And, and, and how do we listen well and answer the call? Nature, Greg Lavoie talks about it in his book, Callings. He said, Nature put a certain constraint on those who leave the flock to go their own way. It is not our natural tendency to leave the flock and go our own way because we feel unprotected. And as Greg Lavoie says, we get eaten. So that's the feeling for many. Why would I want to leave the protection of this to follow my heart's desire? So many times to follow our heart's desire, it requires us to leave what is familiar and comfortable, which is security, and to follow that call. And so it may mean that we know in our hearts and our minds that we're, ready to, we're done with this work. We're done with this career. We're done with this path. We're done with this relationship. We're done with... Many, many things. And this book is full of people that have answered the call and move in a different direction when it seems counterintuitive. Why would you do that? And yet, I think it's the nature of our our, our process. We know when we're done. And then, of course, it takes time for our consciousness, our, our conscious awareness to catch up with what unconsciously we already know. Joseph Campbell said this in his famous book *Hero with a thousand faces Joseph Campbell was a beautiful amazing man Uh, he was a cultural anthropologist and a prolific writer and speaker did a beautiful series with Bill Moyers a number of years ago one of his favorite famous quotes from a hero with a thousand faces reads as follows we do not have to risk the adventure alone for the heroes of all time have gone before us the labyrinth is thoroughly known we have only to follow the thread of the hero path and where we have thought to find an abomination we shall find God. Where we had thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. Where we had thought to travel outward, we, we shall re- come to the center of our own existence. Where we had thought to be alone, we shall be with all the world. And it's beautiful because he articulates the paradox of the, the, the uh, spiritual journey. He talks about, in, in upon this idea, he talks about the idea of the minotaur and the, and the journey into the labyrinth of the minotaur and it's slayed in the way that the hero comes back out of that, that labyrinth is there's a thread that he follows. And he said, we all need a thread to get back. We've all gotta have a thread to return. So what is your thread? What is my thread? And so that part of the discussion today will be about talking about some of those threads that we have, can create for ourselves. He also said the great sacrilege in terms of the soul's integrity. You know, your, your soul and my soul have integrity is that of the it-advertence of not being alert, not being awake. Of not being alert, not being awake. A calling is a path between two essential questions. So are we answering our call? Two essential questions. What is right for me? What is right for me is number one, and where am I willing to be led? So one is understanding what we're called to and, and, and how, we, how we decipher that and discern that for ourselves, and the other is being, being led. So what does that being led look like? Because if we leave the flock and we feel like we're being led, we could get eaten. So I, I prefer to know the end before I, I step out in that direction, and it doesn't, but it doesn't work that way. One of the things that Greg Lavoie talks about is a sculpting and tapping stone. He was a, a stone sculptor for a number of years. <clears throat> And he said that there's three things that, that he would do when he was sculpting stone to check before he even started on a piece. He'd have a block of stone before him and he would tap it with a hammer. And he said, number one, if it, was, if it was a good piece of stone, it would ring true. There would be a resonance to it. He'd tap it and it would ring. Number two is, is that, that he knew that it had integrity. If it didn't ring true, it didn't have the integrity. So he knew that as he began to sculpt it, it would fall apart. It would chip in places he didn't want it to chip. So number one, it rang true. Number two, it had integrity. And number three, will it hold up under repeated blows? Because to shape anything, it has to withstand certain blows. It has repeated blows. In other words, developing, tapping with the ear of the heart. And so when we talk about our classes, when we talk about entering into one of our classes, and, and of course I'm pitching it, and I, I, you know, and, and I want to make sure that you're clear about why we do this, because it is within the classwork that the, really the, the gifts arise, that the, the challenges and, the, and the, the obstacles arise, and then it's an opportunity to be with a group of people that are attempting to be sti- spiritually awake and to stay awake to help bring a new awareness and consciousness to that idea as it comes up. And it's a very powerful work, and it's also a very frightening work, because it's a a foreign feeling and much of it is uncomfortable. So we have to have reflective practices. Any group designed for waking up, as I said. So that when all of a sudden we're called to something, we're reminded, does it ring true? Does it have integrity and will it hold up? With where I'm going, is there enough enthusiasm? Is there enough joy in it for me that I will pursue this and know that there will be people that will disagree with me, people that will say no, and yet you know that you have to do it that you have to pursue this. You have to change this in a certain way. So our classroom is a way to, to gather together with a group designed. Our classes are designed to help people wake up. And we're not the only one that does it. There's 12-step programs that do it. There are men's groups that do it. There are women's groups. There are weekend retreats. There, are, There's all sorts of things on the planet that are very, very uh, prolific and available. So ours is not the only way. Ours is one way. But this is a group designed for waking up. Our Sunday service is a group, an effort to to wake up. Part of that, as I just mentioned, is a willingness must be, there must be a willingness to be shaken up. To be shaken up. Greg LeVoy says, there's no encounters with the divine without shaking, without trembling. So when we're shaking, it makes sense to have people around us that can hold the space for us. We need people with with enough awareness and consciousness. This is what practitioners do. That's why they go through the training, to hold the space for us when everything is shaking and everything is crumbling and falling apart. You need to have people that can help hold the space for you until your consciousness catches up. We must be willing to be shaken up to submit ourselves to the dark blossoming of chaos. It is also essential to know how to gain and regain strength. What does that for us? Well, coming, uh, coming on a Sunday is a practice. Coming to, coming to service is a practice. It's a habit. And part of it is repetition. It's exposing ourselves to ideas. It's reading things that are meaningful and inspiring. It's getting together with people in ways and means and that collaboration of, of, of consciousness that allows one to be supported. It can be people, places, teachings, and practices. It could be the lamp of someone's love. All it takes is one person that loves you. Just One or to have the feedback of people who genuinely believe that you can do it, that you have this dream and you can do it. I remember when I was a young man and I had saved enough money and, and, and I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to Los Angeles and I'm going to be a famous actor. And he, my dad had no idea any of this was going on because we never talked. I was uh, 26 years old. Um, I, was, I was part of his um, group. We had, he had a lot of children, as you know, and we were the, we were, <laughs> we were the workforce for his business. And so uh, when I went to tell him that, he sort of stared out blankly out the, uh, the, the front window of the, the store that he owned. He owned a, a small, well, he actually, at the time, it was just a liquor store. But uh, he stared out the window and his jaw sort of dropped and, and he kindly looked over at me after about, it seemed like, two minutes of silence and said, well, you can always come home. And so that was the encouragement I got as I left that, you know, the story I made up was, well, when you fail on this, you can always come back and join the workforce again. But what I knew was that I had, there was a, a different idea and a different possibility. And so what I also knew is that I, it might be possible to surround myself with people that actually believed in what I wanted to do. But I knew I wasn't going to be able to put my dad in that group. Greg Barrow says that, you know, a lot of times you just have to stop hanging out with your family while you do the work to learn how to do the real love. Real love, and I love his definition. We're going to do, we're going to do Greg Bear's a month this, this year. I'm still figuring out what month. Uh, but his real love, I love his definition. Real love is just simply your interest is in the happiness of another with no attachment. Love that definition. It's so simple. Am I in this relationship because I want, to, I, I, I want to express real love? Because the rest of it is imitation love. If I'm nice to you because I need something from you, it's imitation love. It's manipulation. So real love is a practice, and it's something we need to practice. We need to do it repeatedly. And so, so within that, I look at my own life. It gives me, a, it gives me something that calls me to a bigger idea. So, and this connects me with something bigger, that Greg Lavoie would say, something bigger than myself, family, community, nature, music. Our callings can come to us in many forms. They come from, a, a, from symbols, they come from dreams, they come from happenstance, synchronicities. T.S. Eliot said that our callings can be filtered through all of these he also said that our lives are measured out of coffee spoons. In other words, for our calling, what is it right for me to do? My calling, what am I going to answer? It typically doesn't come with a big purple cloud and a hand reaching down and everything written on it. That, you know, like Moses coming down with the, if you watch Mel Brooks, it was 15 uh, commandments before it became 10 because he dropped one of the tablets. But, but the point is, is that it doesn't show up that way. It shows up in the synchronicities. I had a dream the other night before I picked this book up even. I had a dream the other night about whales. I was sleeping, and I remember all my dreams. And I had a dream about whales, and the whales were great, and they, were, and they showed up, and you just knew that they were in love, and they were frolicking, and I had this just amazing uh, experience. And I got up the next day, and I was looking for I said, what can I use this week? What do I want to talk about? Classes are coming up, and I want to talk about something. And all of a sudden, I pulled Greg Lavoie's book up, and, he, and here's a story in here that he uses as a metaphor for uh, Jonah in the belly of the whale. Jonah went out, jumped off the ship and he was swallowed by the whale. And what that represents, the metaphor for it, is, as Greg Lavoy describes it, is it's the incubation that all of us lied, laid in, in our mother's wombs for a series of months and we were nurtured, we were done unto. We were given all the nurturance and the sustenance it took to develop, to develop the, the body that we all have so that we could take form and take spirit and be in the world. And so the representation of Jonah being in the belly of the whale is that incubation period. And so if you have a dream around a whale, it could be that you're going through a change, a metamorphosis, a rebirth. You're being nurtured, and what needs to be made clear to you is made aware. What is right for me? And where am I willing to be led? The great breakthroughs in our lives generally only happen as a result of the accumulation of innumerable small steps and minor achievements. We, we grow the consciousness, the awareness, before we will answer the call many times. Many times, the Spirit's del- delay is not Spirit's denial because the consciousness is not, is not there to sustain what wants to happen. There are no, we are always communicating with one another, whether we like it or not at some deep level Ilya Prigogine Nobel prize winner for the dis- his theory was dissipative structures part of that theory was that friction is a fundamental property of nature and nothing grows without it nothing grows without friction not mountains not not pearls not people not childbirth nothing each of our lives is like a well, and we're meant to go down deeply enough into our own wells so that we finally reach the stream that is the source of all wells. So when we, when we pray, there's one life, and I recognize that life, and I claim that life is my own. It is one way, it is one threshold of stepping into that awareness, and it is done in many, many traditions. There are many mystics in many traditions but it is that mystical willingness to step through and it is a surrender to reach that great well. And this leads us out into the world. When we come from that awareness, this leads us out into the real world to test our bright sword of consciousness, to teach love, to save lives, primarily our own, to change lives, primarily our own, to educate and to minister. I love, once again, going back to Greg Bear's book, Real Love. He said, I'm here to love and to teach. I said, amen, brother. I'm here to love and to teach. And we love better, we teach better, and we receive better when we're in that conversation, when we're listening to the calls, when we're practicing the silence. Eric Musil has a practice called hushing. He's a psychotherapist called hushing. He said that when we go into a museum and stare at a painting for 15 minutes, it's a meditation. Practicing the silence. A calling cuts through all of our conditioning a calling is a way that provides an energy and a vibration into our experience that cuts through all of the biases and all of the limitations that people have given us. Because it, when we answer it, and the, and, the, and the signposts are there for us to follow, our conditioning no longer can, can come up with a st- story strong enough not to. Scott Peck, one of my favorite books, along with uh, Greg is The Road Less Traveled, And Greg Lavoie was at a workshop with him, and he said, he got up and he said, well, how do I know when I'm struggling with a question or I'm struggling with a direction to go in my life that I'm going in the right direction? And Scott Peck looked at him and said, that's the most popular question I've ever answered when I'm lecturing, the number one question. And his answer was, there is no such formula. There's no formula to know. We can't know. But he said this, if you're willing to sit with ambiguity, To accept uncertainties and contradictory meanings, then your unconscious will be ahead of your conscious mind in the right direction. You will therefore do the right thing, although you won't know it at the time. So it's interesting how it points out how important it is to listen and to discern and to be willing to follow that calling. What patterns are showing up? Because they usually come in patterns. They usually are repetitive. We see them over and over and over again. The truest callings keep coming back from a variety of different channels. When I, when I went to my dad as a young man, and I use this because it's part of my story, and I know you've heard it a lot. But when I went to my dad and I told him that, and I prepared and I went, and I, that was the goal, and that was, was where I was going. Pursuing that, the gift in it, the richness in it was the pursuit of it. It wasn't the achievement of it, because there's really, how do you, how do you measure Achievement. You know, I mean, it's, there's many layers to that, but it was in the, it, the willingness to step out and to follow that. But it, it took years and years and years of me to build the consciousness and the awareness and the determination and the discomfort to pursue it. And Greg Lavoie asked us to ask some questions about this How does it feel to act on a certain calling? How does it feel to act on a certain calling? Number one, do you feel more awake? Does it wake you up more? Does it pique your interest? Was there a kind of rightness to your actions? Does it, does it shift and change the, the habitual patterns that you realize, you know, if I'm going to pursue this, I need to do something else differently. I need to shift that. How do I do that? Or I choose to shift that. I don't need to do anything, but I choose to do this differently. Gabor Mate, I think I'm pronouncing that right, a renowned Canadian author, it's written extensively on addiction, which I think ties in with Right Action. It says, addiction is any behavior that relieves stress with negative consequences. Addiction is any behavior that relieves stress with negative consequences. And it could be, you know, it, it doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol. It can be shopping. It can be all kinds of behaviors that are not as, as apparent, but still can have negative consequences. Addiction is any behavior that relieves stresses with negative consequences that a person continues to engage in despite those negative consequences. Pretty broad definition. Greg Bear, author of Real Love, says we are all addicted to something. So welcome to the club. Yeah. But, see, and that's not a bad thing. It's just what it is. And it's possible to shift that, because the same energy that propels that addiction is the same energy that can help shift the addiction. We just watched, Laura and I watched, just watched the movie yesterday, uh, A Dangerous Method, I think is the name of it, and it's the story of Freud and Carl Jung, true story, amazing. And Freud, Freud's idea was that we diagnose and we give people a label, and you were, did you see the movie? Yeah. And, 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 and so Freud's idea was that we're going we're to identify this and, and say, now you are whatever you are and put the label on it, and that's it. And you're stuck with that. And Jung was very interesting because Jung had all of these mystical experiences, and he had this shamanic tendency, and Freud thought he was crazy. This is why they felt, had the falling apart. I didn't know this until I watched the movie. And so Carl Jung believed that it was important not only to identify but also to give people tools and skills and insight so they could shift and change it. And Freud said, no, no, we can't. We're not, that's not our job. We just, identi- we just identify the, the, the problem. Very interesting. Very interesting. But it represents consciousness shifting. And so that's why Carl Jung has been such an inspiration for, for the New Thought Metaphysical Movement. Because none of us are stuck. And what, and what Jung modeled for us was he was in that conversation. He had those mystical experiences. He had those intuitive hits. At one point in the movie, it was 1913, it was a year before the First World War started, and he kept having this vision of this great wave of water washing over Europe from the North Sea. And he said, I don't know what it is. He said, I don't know if it's really going to happen or what's going on. You know, and it's obvious. He was having premonitions about some impending danger coming from the North. He was in in, um, uh, Zurich, Switzerland, that would wash over Europe. Well, a year later, the war broke out. But he said, I can't deny it. I just can't figure out what it is. Part of the path, part of the callings are our failures, are our failures. I could say because I went to California and didn't, didn't become world famous and, and renowned that that was a failure. Failure. But what it did was it prepared me. It gave me insight and awarenesses about other things. And what it did was I realized there's an emptiness in me. There's a a place in me that feels so incomplete and so broken. And if I can achieve this goal, it will be filled. And fortunately, I had enough success with it and and it never shifted and changed anything within me internally. I realized this was not the path. But it was in the pursuit of that and having some success with it where I realized, you know, I need to look in a different direction. I need a different... I need a different group of people around me because that, that that activity was trying to fill something that was insatiable within me that was a black hole of neediness that was never going to be filled and so what it did was it guided me and directed me to a, a philosophy and a teaching that gave me enough freedom see I think our biggest challenge with what we teach is the freedom our biggest challenge is the freedom because at some point all of us, myself included, have to give up some of the old ways of being and the old ways of judging that no longer serve me. But it takes my discernment and my willingness to stop doing that. Where many times I think, wouldn't it be great if somebody just followed me around all the time and caught me every time I was doing it? Because there are teachings like that. But, but as, as the, I, then I go right back to what Dr. Ernest Holmes said, why would God give us freedom and then, and then put us in bondage? So it is that discernment and that challenge. I have people come up all the time and tell me that, that and, and with something I've said or something I've done, that that's not the teaching. Well, for them that's true. For them that's true. So how do you, you can't argue with that. But I don't agree with them. So what I've learned to say many times now that doesn't represent my position. And and leave it at that, because I'm 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 done defending that. Because I realize for them that's true. And it's okay. Because this is the nature of it. This is, what we're, this is the business that we're about. So getting back to it. Number one, do you feel more awake? Is there a kind of rightness to your actions? Or am I acting upon my habitual patterns or my, my addictions? Did you experience a flood of energy when you, you answered that call? Did you experience gales of resistance to committing? A lot of resistance around committing. Because the fear around that, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a true call, there'll be a lot of resistance around it. And did your friends declare that they haven't seen you this excited in a long time because you answered the call? Because there's a good, there's a good. uh, And if they don't, you know, if they don't agree, if they think you're strange and and lost your mind, maybe they're not as good of friends as you thought they were. Maybe it's time to re-examine that. But all of these questions are important to ask. What is right for me? Where am I willing to be led? And you know, you know in your heart of hearts, the dark night of the soul is as important as the days of wine and roses because that friction helps shape us and form us. Those obstacles, those disappointments and those failures are all part of the path as well. In fact, probably the most valuable part of the path. And we're trainable, we're teachable. As Carl Jung stood for, we're trainable. Greg Lavoy talks about it. You know, when we, when we do the classes, we come in. Repetition is so important. Repetition is how we learn over and over and over again. It sounds boring, doesn't it? But when we're on fire with something, if we know we're called to this, if we know we're called to, to bring a new consciousness to this situation, then we'll find, Greg voices, says, that you'll find that the energy is there even after hours and hours and hours have spent on this, that your enthusiasm is still there. It's one of the ways that we know. It's one of the signposts. But he said that they were in a class in Santa Barbara City College. He was, a, he was in his first year. And they had a professor, and so it was a psychology class. And they decided that they would run an experiment And so they all agreed before class that when the professor moved towards the window, they would all pretend like they were bored. They would yawn like Thomas is yawning right now. And they would would close their eyes and they'd look up at the ceiling and they would do everything but pay attention. But when he moved towards the door, they would all sit on the edge of their chairs and just follow him with their eyes. And as soon as he went back the other way, they'd... And they said within an hour, by the time that class was over, that professor was glued to that door. Nobody said anything, but they had trained him. And I thought, isn't it a great example of how we're all trainable? We can all shift and change. And we can influence one another. What if the person that you have the most trouble with at work, every, every day you just show up and you're just ready to love them unconditionally. You're there to practice real love with the most difficult person in your life that it is to love. And just stand there. And they come in and you just smile on your face and look them in the eye and Watch them move around the room. And if they say anything to you, like, what's your problem? You can say to them, you know what I love about you? What? Everything. (laughs) Try it. See what happens. There's a wonderful story I'm going I'm to tell you. I didn't tell, so don't tell the ones at the first service because I didn't tell them the story. Wonderful example of, of uh, this practice by, and it comes from Greg Lipboy's book, by Rachel Bagby. And she's, Rachel is a New Hampshire vocal artist. And Karen would really love this because she's, do you know her? Do you know Rachel? Because she's done work with Bobby McFerrin. So this is a story about Rachel and Bobby. So Karen has studied with Bobby, and I didn't know if you knew her or not, but I thought about you when I found this story. And she's got a record label called Out of the Box. Anyway, she has a practice she calls media celibacy. And what she engages in for stretches of up to four months at a time is a way to hush the blistering hubbub of messages brought to her by radio, television, magazines, and newspapers. It means not tuning into any of them for a period of time. She says, start with an hour. Build up and be patient with yourself. We've We've all taken a soaking for centuries. And she says, it does something to your ears. You receive messages in a new way. You're better able to discern your own voice, or your own voices from those of the culture, the voices that are aligned with life from those that are not. And so she had this opportunity to audition with Bobby McFerrin. And Bobby's this amazing vocalist and musician. And um, um, Did he sing Don't Worry, Be Happy? Is that his song? Yeah. Uh, so what happened was is she was invited by Bobby McFerrin uh, to participate, for, for a masterclass she took with them. she had to prepare a 15-minute demo tape and some of the material she put on it, along with certain fearlessness and faith she brought to it. It grew directly out of her silencing practice, which occasionally included verbal celibacy. As a result of the tape, she was invited to audition for a, perform- a vocal performance group that McFarron was putting together called Voicestra. And when she walked in, McFerrin drew a line with his foot on the floor, and he said to her, Step into the stream of music and sing what you hear. And as she describes it, she heard a thousand different things at once, chose one, and began to sing about following a single note, following where it led, building on it, respecting it, revering it, and loving it. She got the job. You have to be willing to step into a, a mysterious, unknown situation and listen to the creative response within you. Whether it be music, a voice of wisdom, an inspirational idea, or a calling to just be spontaneous. Beautiful practice. Beautiful practice. You start with the small things. How do you work? How do you converse with one another? How are you in relationship? How do you eat a meal? How do you prepare a meal? How do you wash the dishes? Eckhart Tolle talks about it. It's not what you do, it's how you do it, and the consciousness you do it from. Dr. Roger Thiel at our Asilomar conference this year at Merrill Hall spoke about this idea that it's become very popular within our movement to talk about, you know, I want to do this, so I'm going to have the right and perfect job, and it's going to be done with ease and grace. Well, the ease and grace may be a limitation in the prayer work. It might not be ease and it might not be grace. And he said, and he used the metaphor, he said with salmon. Do you know where salmon swim upstream? They always swim where it's the most violent, where it's the strongest and the hardest to swim. They always move over. If it's real easy to go. They don't go there. They go right where it's the hardest to swim. And the reason that they do that is because they know the way is clear. They're not going to run into a wall. They're not going to run into a big rock. They're gonna, they've got a clear sailing, but they go that way. And I, and I love that metaphor and I love that example. Sometimes it's important for us to engage in a practice that says, you know what, I'm going to get into a, a class or I'm going to get into a group of people that, that are committed to staying spiritually awake and it's going to challenge me and it's going to stand me in that stream where the water is the most difficult to swim into but where I know my, my sailing is clear, where my swimming path is open. Just something to think about. I got rid of ease and grace a while back when I heard that because I thought, you know what, it's time to get into the deep water again and just swim. That's why we do the, the uh, sacred healing circles. We have sacred healing circles here. and Anyone and everyone's invited. And the reason for that is because we're able to look. We stand in the stream together and we look at an issue, we look at an idea, we bring it into the, our awareness, we bring it to the surface, the air of belief, and then we, we expose it to the sunlight and realize, we're going to dissipate this, we're going to melt this idea because it no longer is going to have any influence in my experience. And we do it one by one. And the reason we do it over and over and over again is because we all have layers of that that we're carrying with us. And I'm interested in pursuing that because I know that as that is lifted for me, greater and greater gifts are revealed by means of myself and and others. And I wanna be a place where that can happen. And I think as I look out in the world, this is one of the most potent and powerful things that I can be part of. So with, with a call, number one, going back, integrity. Does it have integrity? Does your call have integrity? Do you know the feeling of integrity? And do you feel its absence when it's not there? Number two, is it authentic? Number three, does it connect you to yourself and others? And number four, is it more or less right? And you know that intuitively. So the homework for you this week, if you're willing, is to ask two questions as things come up for you. As old ideas and ways of being and behaviors, is this still right for me? Is this right for me? And am I willing to be led? Is this right for me and am I willing to be led? You get to decide that. No one can decide it for you. You know what's right for you. I don't. And are you willing to be led? Do you trust it? Do you realize, is there, is there something in you? Is there a way to know that? Are you a person of faith? Are you willing to be led? I was watching a wonderful interview with Christopher Hedges and Bill Moyer. Christopher Hedges is an amazing author and he's, and he's an investigative reporter. And what he's done is he's spent years and years and years working with big publications. He now has his own website and his own books. He got fired from one of the big publications because he was in the war in Iraq. And he started to write things that were not in support of the, the, the status quo. And they, they shipped him off. And what it did is it propelled him into a new career. And what he talks about in one of his new books is those four sacrifice zones in the United States. They're in four areas of the United States where the large corporations have come in and decimated the environment. The people have been stuck into poverty. Uh, Camden, New Jersey is one of them. It's one of the poorest places in the United States, one of the poorest places in the world. He said it's similar to, it's it's a police state, basically. It's drugs, crime, and and, uh, poverty, and unemployment. And what's happened, the corporations have come in, and the corporations have left, and it's decimated it. And so he's going on and on about these stories and what it's going to take to change that. And, 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 that, and one of the things, things that's going to change it is us knowing about it and saying, this is enough of this. This is not a world that works for everyone, which we stand for. But he also said, why do you, Bill Moyer said to him, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep doing this? Because it looks like, and he said, what's happened over the, a period of time is the corporations have, have uh, shifted lev- legislature to take away the individual rights over and over and over again. And so what it's going to take is people to, get to, to come back and say, no, we want these rights reestablished and rebuild it. But it's the clarity around that and the commitment and the passion and know your call to that. But he said, why do you do this? Because it is so disheartening when you show me the statistics and what's happened. And he said, I do it. And he was a seminarian for a number of years. He said, I do it because I'm a person of faith. And he said, I do it because I know it's the right thing to do. And it has to be done despite outcomes. And that's part of answering a call. You do it because you know it has to be done. He's answering a call. You know it because it's right in your heart, whether everyone agrees with you or not. And so these are the opportunities we have. We don't, and if we're going to do it, for most of us, we have to start small. But we're, the reason that we've come together at this point in time in history, to be here together, is because of these things, what we're called to, our opportunity to give birth to that. And I just know that. I know that in my heart of hearts, for all of us. We have such a powerful movement. And yet it can, be such a, it can be so daunting because it requires such personal vulnerability and exposure to what's alive for us that must be moved aside so that something new can be given birth. So that we can hear clearly the call and we can follow it. And give birth to the consciousness that supports a world that works for everyone. Awakening humanity to its spiritual magnificence. So stay awake. Love you. So it is.